Hi, this is Areej Noor, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Wrap, a weekly radio show weaving conversations about culture, politics, literature, art and music into a weekly mix. Broadcast live on Triple R from Kulin Nations land in Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Alara Briggs-Patterson is a Yorta Yorta artist and project curator of Wuru Wuru for Fuse Festival. She is herself a musician, composer and filmmaker and strives to create space for cultural revival, reclamation and celebration. Alara, thank you so much for taking the time this morning. Thank you so much for having me here. That's an absolute pleasure. (laughs) So before we go into talking about what you've been working on with this awesome group of people, I do want to ask how you've been going as someone who is creative through this lockdown period. I know that it's kind of at the tail end of, you know, the big experience for most people, but how's that been going for you in terms of your practice and your creativity and your like connection to all of the types of work that you engage with? It's been cheaply weird. I'd just like to as well pay my acknowledgement and respect to the Wurundjeri Wurundjeri of the Kulin Nation whose land I'm currently on and pay respect to their ancestors, elders, past, present, emerging and, and their country and their kids and this beautiful land that I'm privileged to, to get to live and work on. But yeah, it's been pretty, it's been pretty weird like the last few months. For sure, I've been really busy almost, well, pretty much to the point of burnout. <laughs> Just like working away in my little home studio. I've done a couple of commission pieces and, yeah, working. We worked on this Wururu project, which has taken like a, a good chunk of time because mm. there was a lot of consultation with it and a lot of thinking and a lot of planning. So that took a while. And, yeah, I've got, got some exciting news tomorrow. So hang hang in for that. But, yeah, I don't know. It's been, it's been so weird. Like, how did you find it? I mean, it was interesting, particularly at the start. I was kind of not, not going to lie. I was loving it because I thought this is so good. I can just, like, pause and just do the things that I've been wanting to do for ages. And then I think it just got a little bit too much and I started to slowly feel a bit overwhelmed by maybe the silence of it and, you know, particularly when we were in that really intense moment of, you know, you could go out for an hour a day for a walk and that was it and the rest of the time was to be spent at home. I was starting to, like, that was probably when things were at the worst for me. But I think that as humans we have the capacity, whether it's, you know, good or bad, to adjust, right? And we, generally speaking, a lot of people did manage to adjust and I think I managed to adjust and now it's a matter of trying to adjust back to having like a a bit of a social life and seeing people in person and seeing people not wearing masks in the street and stuff. Yeah, it's all very, very strange. It's all very, very strange. Tell me a little bit about Wuru Wuru. And and you mentioned that there was like quite a long consultative process. And so I do want to speak a little bit about that. But tell me what Wuru Wuru is and where, you know, that came from for you to engage with your practice and curation with that as a central theme? Well, I think when I was first asked to, there was an AOI process. So, yeah, I applied to to be the curator. And I wasn't sure what would be a good theme for the artist to write on. Mm. But then I was working on this other project, writing some soundscape music with Sui Zen for the Bendigo Art Gallery Exhibition Pimpy, which has just been open in the last, I think, week. 
or so last week, I think it opened. And so we were we were really writing and, and thinking about the seasons a lot all across the country. And I think that work definitely inspired the, the theme for this project because I wanted to pay respects and, and acknowledgements and tribute the, the season that we were going through at the time, which was like kind of like spring, like kind of early to late spring. But in, yeah, the Wobodong, I guess, kind of seasons, it's not really the same as the Western, like the Western way that we see seasons. So it was, it's more about like what plants are flowering, you know, what animals are out and about, are there birds migrating and what plants are flowering. I think I already said that. So, <laughs> so yeah, like it was kind of, I started the project in the season where the water was like in full bloom mid to late July and then watched as the seasons changed that whole kind of period of time when we were working on the project. And as I was doing some research into like what we should title the project, I came across, I was looking at one of Beth Scott, Dr. Beth Scott, one of her notes on the seasons and I saw their sacred kingfisher and like birds migrate from up north and I thought oh something just about the sacred kingfisher mm. stood out to me and so I did a bit of research I thought oh it's a really beautiful bird like there's got to be a story about it <laughs> and so I jumped on google and and found that there was there's a whole history and a really big story about the Sacred Kingfisher Festival, which used to run. And then I was able to get in contact with Uncle Ian Hunter, who was a key traditional Wurundjeri elder who was involved in that project and the return of the Sacred Kingfisher. The bird it used to come like to this spot on the Mary Creek, kind of near series. Mm. And then there was a big tip there in the 70s and 80s, and then the bird stopped coming to that spot to breed, so it would come from Queensland and come to have its bubbles. And then it stopped coming, but then all the Muppet series and, like, along the creek and there were giving, like, re- regeneration and looking after country and trying to care for country and look after that spot. And then eventually the birds come back in, in, in the early 90s. Wow. And so it's a beautiful story and part of it spiritual as well. And the story that Uncle Ian Hunter tells is that the bird, the sacred kingfisher, it, it comes from Queensland to have its babies and then in the spring, which is a time of, like, regeneration where things are, like, flowering, things are really beautiful, it feels like there's a lot of food and happiness kind of in the air after, like, what is often a really difficult winter and it's cold and and that and windy and, and then by late summer the bird migrates back up to Queensland and, and they go further north as well. And the story is that they, they take the spirits or the moral up to Bandas country, so Tarangokbik, which is like where the, I guess where the spirits live in in the stars, so we're all connected in the universe from country to yeah, the forest country above the clouds to to the star country. And so it was really it was a really beautiful process to rename Wuru Wuru because yeah, Sacred Kingfisher the, the name had been lost. Wurrung, a language name had been lost due to colonisation and so yeah Uncle Ian helped us in the name and, and the Wurundjeri Council were really graceful in, in giving their guidance and suggestions and, and everyone worked together to confirm and, and we're really happy in the end with Wurruwuru as the name but the name also is the Wurrung word for sky and I don't know if you've, you've heard the Jiri Jiri dances yes. of Mandy Nicholson 
often that's part of their, their six layers of country dance as well, about the sky country, forest country, above the clouds and, and all of that. And so, it's, yeah, it's a spiritual thing because it's that the way our, our people, I guess, move from and our spirits move from country to, to the stars and, and back again. So it was, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful story, and I felt I felt really honoured to be working with the elders and Uncle Ian, and and then obviously all of the artists mm. had their own stories connected with the sacred kingfisher, and had different language names for what the bird is called in their languages as well. So it was pretty amazing. So if you haven't yeah checked it out yet, jump on the website. Definitely jump on the website. Some of the work is so beautiful. All of the work is so beautiful. It's captivating. You know, sometimes it's hard, you know, with all of these lockdown stuff to not be able to physically go into a space and, you know, be immersed by whatever art is there. But it's really captivating stuff. And you can jump on the Fuse, Darren, website and check out they're in video forms and there's some just incredible artists involved tell me a little bit about the process of finding the artists and then working with them to get to this process to get to this outcome with their work yeah sure so there was two collaborations so there was four new artworks Mm -hmm. so there was two collaborations and two soloists and so there was six artists sold together and the first collaboration River Skies by Bumpy and Corey Thorpe so Bumpy is a singer-songwriter mm-hmm. and, and an incredible Noongar woman and she has just released her debut single Falling as well like a couple of months ago and it's beautiful if you haven't heard it and then and Corey Thorpe is Gundij Ganae Yorta Yorta and Wurundjeri, and he's an incredible visual artist. So he did this amazing painting of the sacred kingfisher, and and they but but they worked together to tell the story of what it was that they were representing. So they had yarns before both of them started the artwork, so that the the art itself and the music would align in parallel and tell their story in parallel as he does a time-lapse painting of the bird and she develops this beautiful soundscape and includes her beautiful harmonies. But, yeah, I think I, I know all of the artists from my work with them. Like, I've worked with all of them in one capacity or another in, in different programs. I know I was in the Black Sound program with at least three of the artists, with Bumpy, with Piritu and with Dimpa, which was run by Neil Morris at the VMDO last year or the year before. I don't know. Time is not linear <laughs> anymore. <laughs> no, I never was. <laughs> never was. You're right. <laughs> so, yeah, Piritu, his piece is called Thurl and Thurl in Yampa, which is his mob. It represents patience and care. So his, his piece was about that and so much more and I guess his connection to it, which was it's just so beautiful. He's an acoustic guitarist and beautiful singer and, and storyteller. And then there's Dimpa, another incredible artist. Dimpa uses like a lot of keyboards and synth sound and it's really like minimalistic, but it's like kind of like prog minimalism. So mm. it, it changes and it's just beautiful. And Dimpa actually edited their video as well, which was really cool because it's this video of I'm just this like stationary, like in the air kingfisher. From start to finish. Yeah, I was really captivated by it. I was actually watching it yesterday and I was like, oh my God, this is yeah, amazing. So, they, they, like, Jim was like edited the video of this bird 
to to match so beautifully with the music exactly. and so it kind of like it like speeds up and it slows down and it goes in like reverse and, and back to front and it's quite amazing the way they represented the story of the music and with the bird as well and then like there's this like beautiful release at the end and it was like, like a, almost like a perfect cadence so it was yeah just stunning and then the other collaboration was by Monica Jasmine Caro and Brent Watkins of Culture Evolved and they just like created this <laughs> ridiculously incredible piece together so Brent's a beat maker like a producer as well yeah. as a dig player and a dancer a very multidisciplinary artist and Monica is also incredibly multidisciplinary so I, I did a film course with Mon a couple of years ago, Black Masterclasses, which was run by Typecast Media, so Uncle Tony Briggs and Damien. And so she hasn't done a lot since then in film. She filmed and edited pretty much the whole video wow. together. I just took us because we were in separate places. So I took a couple of videos of Brent dancing and then we sent that to her and she edited it all together. And then she also sung and did her spoken word poetry over the top of um of Brent's beat so yeah it's just a beautiful collaboration as well and the story within it I'm just very proud of them and the way that they took on the project and I think what's been the hardest thing of COVID is that it's been a really really reactive kind of time Mm -hmm. and when you're reacting you kind of just like I guess there was so much went on like George Floyd was murdered Mm -hmm. and there was the really racist experience for the people living in the flat during that, like, lockdown before we went into that second kind of lockdown. And, like, all these different things and and so many deaths in community as well. And so this project, I really wanted to give the artists an opportunity to make something, like, really beautiful and proactive, you know, about caring for country and about, like, connecting back with our culture because it's been a time when we're very like defensive rather than like this is this is who we are you know we're always kind of protecting who we are so much to the point that sometimes we don't get the chance to just be who we are and so I wanted this project to be an expression of of who we are and a celebration of that and yeah they all brought it and and also that connection as well as guests Aboriginal guests living on Wurundjeri country Rotorong country, it's an opportunity for us to connect with the local mob here and to have our stories interwoven again, like our traditional songlines have been. And so, yeah, it's all all a part of it. And it was just an honour to work on it with every artist and, and everyone involved in the project, including Amanda Palmer from Durban, who was, yeah, always always backed me and, and supported me. So thank you to Durban as well. Yeah, it's such a beautiful project. They're videos that are like under five minutes or around five minutes. There's four of them and it's just, it's really, really beautiful. And I think I really loved what you said about the fact that this has been a really volatile time and a moment where we've, or a period of time where we've really had to react or people in this country have really had to react. And this project looks like it's very much in the present and in the future and it's such a beautiful time to 
see these works. I imagine that it was an amazing experience for the artists and for yourself working on them. But it's also a really beautiful time now, once we're kind of at the tail end of lockdown and also there's been so much that's happened this year. It's a perfect Mm -hmm. time to be able to experience these works as well. Well, for me personally, it was a perfect time to be able to experience these works. They're just so beautiful and they're just online. You can jump on fusedarabin.com and you can check them out at your own pace. You can pause and rewind, which I did a little bit with Dimper's project because I was like, wait, what? Let me just go back and see how that happened. Hang on. Need to say that again. Exactly. And when you're in an exhibition space, you can't pause and rewind. You just have to wait for it to loop back again. So this is kind of the beauty of being in, in total control. It is such an awesome project. So it's, been running for a little while when does it wrap up how can people check it out all of those things yeah so it'll be up online on the fused Darabin website until the 29th mm-hmm. i think of this month which yeah. is only really a few days away but it's all available via each of the artists websites. so even if you jump on and follow the artist on instagram or facebook or whatever you choose or they're all also on my Instagram as well. And I think they'll probably still be available on the Fuse Instagram too. Awesome. So, yeah, plenty of places to still check it out. It, the website will just kind of be archived, which is, is the nature of the festival, you know. Yeah, which is pretty <laughs> so, amazing because you can come back to it if you ever, like, feel like you need to once you've checked it out before. You can come back to it and, you know, watch again and be part of it again from maybe different lens or whatever. I think it's I think that, I love that to be honest with you. I'm a sl- slow processor, so yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't I don't mind having to come back to something a few times. So I'm always late. I'm always late to the party. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Even hearing you talk about the Woodle Woodle story, I now want to go back after this show and look at them again and just mm-hmm. just with that in mind, you know, cuz I kind of went in in prep for this interview, as you know, as we always do. But now I feel like, actually, let me go in and watch them all again with what you've shared in mind and considering the context that we've been in and everything that we've just spoken about. So, yeah, definitely a slow processor and it's awesome that it's just online and you can do it at any point. Yeah, it's deadly. And, yeah, big thanks to all the artists who were just amazing um, supports of as like of what I was doing as well because mm. it was I feel like a really big deal to be involved with the renaming of the yeah. sacred kingfisher and I just have all of the love for Wurundjeri and Woiwurrung mob and can't yeah I can't be more grateful for the opportunity to do this so big love out there to the mob and everyone listening and I hope that you go and check it out and yeah just Thank you for having me on with me today. Of course. Thank you so much for your time. If you do want to check it out, check out Woodle Woodle. You can jump on fusedarabin.com.au and it's on that website. You could also just Google Woodle Woodle, W-U-R-R-U, and then again, and write Darabin Festivals and it'll be right there. It's right like the first thing that you search up. Alara, it's been so much fun and such a joy to chat with you this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. I'm very excited to introduce my next guest. It is Jamaz on Mars, just from 
the bio that's online. I will read that directly. It says, Hailing from Orange Regional, New South Wales, Jamal's on Mars is a queer rapper and saxophonist of Kenyan and Sri Lankan Tamil heritage. Jamal, thanks for joining me this morning. Thank you so, so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to be on. Can't thank you enough. <laughs> so we've actually never spoken, which is probably mostly my fault because often I have plans and ideas of people to get on the show and then lots of things get booked, people have gigs and you then get pushed back. But today we've managed to do it, which is very exciting. So I do oh, want to... I love that. <laughs> There's a lot going on. We. It all works out in time. Exactly. And this is probably the perfect time to chat with you. So I just want to start by asking when you started. When did you start making music? When was hip-hop the thing for you and your origin story in that way? Yeah, it was a bit of a unique one. Like, I started as a musician, musician playing the saxophone. And within that, I was, like, classically trained, not even really jazz trained. Somewhere in the mix of that, I like got into YMCMB, Lil Wayne, and then transferred to Kendrick Lamar. So he was like my hero throughout high school. And he is, you know, he's the one who gave me the passion for rap, for lyrics, storytelling. I had a few other heroes in the midst of all that, but I don't know, it's hard because they all ended up being homophobic. So I'm not going to nod my head to them. (laughs) They let me down as a high school student. But yeah, I started off as a musician, musician. I don't know how I got into rap. I think it's because I'm a talker. I'm not really confident in my abilities to sing. So I need, you know, I'm I'm not going to be a singer. I don't know. It just kind of, I was drew to it. And growing up in Orange, there was a lot kind of, I felt like it was me against the world. And Mm. rap was the perfect outlet to kind of let out that anger and aggression. But now I'm also use rap to address the changes that I'd like to see in the world and just, you know, everyday things like love, heartbreak, so forth. But, yeah, I'm coming from a musician's background. Yeah. Yeah, we love it. We do love it. Hip-hop, rap, I mean, this show is called The Rap. Like, it is comes from a resistive art form, right? It comes from a heart of struggle. It comes from a space where, you know, people who were taken from their homelands, stolen from their homelands and forcibly enslaved in another country and we're really trying to create some, you know, the history of of that experience and really trying to create some sort of, you know, cultural expression and resistive expression out of that. And so it's only fitting that that's something that you have engaged with if you felt like it was you against the world in Orange. No, exactly. And I'd be forgetting as well, I'm inherently political, but you know, for me, I don't feel like I am. It's just Mm. what I do is that. So that's why I feel like, yeah, rap, I kind of just landed in it because it was, it was perfect for me and hoping, I'm hoping in future kind of to explore the struggles with queerness in society through hip hop, because that's kind of like a a jarring thing in itself. But essentially it's what you just said. That's what hip hop is come from (laughs) yeah so I saw online that you performed with Solange at the Sydney Opera House over those special performances and that the track Don't Touch My Hair really resonated with you can you tell me a little bit about that experience and also why that song in particular took your heart yeah it's like one of those things I realized on reflection going back to growing up in Orange like regional Australia the kids would you know touch my hair liken me to a sheep and if you grow up around that that's normal and then you get to like I was in year 12 when she dropped you know when don't touch my hair Mm -hmm. 
then the discourse starts to happen on why that's problematic, why that's like microaggressive racism. So then I'm realizing, wait, you should, you're not allowed to touch my hair. You shouldn't liken me to X, Y, and Z. And yeah, it's just that happened. That was one episode in itself. And then just performing with her, I don't I have no words. Like <laughs> I knew when I was doing it, this is once in a lifetime. I, I really don't even have no words. Like imagine we used to go to the opera house, like as as an excursion for school, and I used to sit in that like audience and mm-hmm. say, "One day I'll perform here with my saxophone." But I knew it would be kind of hip hop ish related. And then you're two years removed from high school, and you're there with Solange Knowles. Like it was, yeah, it was really. I still have no words. It's amazing. One of my biggest flexes. I feel yeah, like- it just stuck with me. <laughs> I love that. Sorry, you cut out a bit. One of the biggest that flexes. Optus connection. That Optus can listen. Even though I'm in the city, it's terrible. (laughs) We do what we can. It's doing this entire show remotely for the last, you know, since the start of the year. I mean, you're based in New South Wales anyway, but it is rough. There have been so many, like, moments of connection losses, but everyone seems to be very forgiving because we don't really have other options at the moment. Well, I'm swapping to Telstra, so my apologies, everyone. (laughs) This is Optus' fault. I was saying that I use this as a big flex for myself because I went to see one of the salon shows in Sydney. I came from Melbourne and she came to our crew and sung Crane. I don't know. What did she sing to us? I don't remember. Fubu. She sang sang Fubu to us, to our little crew. And that's like one of my biggest flexes. And for people who listen to this show regularly, they know that I mention it like once every fortnight at least. No, you have to. I mean, I couldn't imagine what it's like for you to have performed. I I have like... Yeah, I've, I've noticed, like, I've printed out the photos, so now I'm just waiting to have kids so I can be like, yeah, your father played with her. But, like, also, it's just so weird. Like, I that whole album that we performed with her, mm. I was listening to it in Year 12 on repli- repeat, pardon me, to study. So I would, like, judge how, how long I've studied based on, you know, if I've ran through the whole album one time. And then two years later, I'm performing it with her. So I still have no words, like kind of like still in shock a little bit hope we can do it again not sure but once in a lifetime (laughs) well listen if it's happened once it'll happen again it's amazing it's really amazing it really is but it also shows like just by her doing that through the art and then I've got my petition it shows how you know changes like domino effect yeah um because it really did rub off on me and Let's say, sorry, I'm jumping forward ahead of question, but if I do achieve a legal change at some point Mm. in time, I would credit some of that to her and you just never know. That's what I'm trying to say. You never know what you're doing. It's like you're calling something out and, yeah, I don't know. I'm in shock still. (laughs) I love it for you. And I want to chat with you a little bit before we speak about this new music video and this song and all of that stuff. I want to speak with you a little bit about this campaign that you've been running, this petition that you've been running about natural hair, Afro hair in schools. Can you tell me a little bit about it as a campaign and also what you're hoping to achieve? Yeah, so basically I started a petition to stop independent schools restricting Afro-textured hair. I led with independent because... I feel like, yeah, they are unregulated by Mm -hmm. law. Also, I've realised, yeah, education is state-based, so I have to use New South Wales as an example for now. But, yeah, I basically called out the Anti-Discrimination Act because there is no real protection for black students. If schools want to say that braids and cornrows and locks are not a part of the school uniform, like if they're just like unacceptable, extreme hairstyles and they're a really important part of our culture and just 
part of our identity and who we are. And many black students have faced these discriminations in school, so I'm hoping to bring that to light. But I'm, yeah, also just hoping to make an amendment to the Anti-Discrimination Act to protect black students from such discrimination. Mm. But, yeah, it, it feels like it might be a long conversation with Australia. I think maybe people wrapping their heads around it it's not about hair, you know, it's about covert discrimination, yeah. othering, assimilation. Mm-hmm. But look, if it's happened, if there are laws in, you know, New York and California, I'm pretty sure we can get something done here one day soon. But yeah, that came about at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm still gunning for it. I think the parliament is about to close and school's about to end, but I'll be back in in January 2021. I think the politicians think I'm off it, but no, I'll be back. They better watch out. <laughs> it, you know, you're absolutely right. It's it's a lot of things, right? On one hand, it is about people's, you know, black people's expression and, and hair and identity and all of that. But at the same time, it's, it's very much about assimilation and the expectation that we as black people have to be a certain type of black person. And if that means that we have to cross down our identity and cross down what we what grows out of our head naturally, then that is not that is not at all the experience of a healthy up- upbringing within the context of schooling. But even into adulthood, I think, you know, sometimes it might not be as overt, but there are expectations and there are guidelines within workplaces. And I think this is an awesome first step and it's amazing that you are taking lead in this way. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. I wish everyone was like you. I had a little bit of backlash after the ABC thing, but I really appreciate your kind words. Like, I'm glad, I'm just really glad you understand because I'm surprised people don't understand. (laughs) So I appreciate you. Yeah. So let's talk about this music video of tomorrow. I watched it maybe five or six times in a row because I was just trying to pick out all of these little bits and pieces. There's a lot happening. But tell me about the story of this song and then a little bit about the video before I play it. Well, the story of the song. So the song and the video are kind of two separate things. They overlap. You know, the song... It is Afrobeats and, well, I'm just saying Afrobeats in general. We're not going to break it down. But, um, yeah, I speak in Swahili about relations with a, another man, uh, the legal back in Kenya and many other surrounding countries. So on accident, I have a thing of challenging legalities, it seems. So that's what the song is about, kind of challenges that social prejudice, that LGBTQI, you know, people face in Kenya and other countries. Written about my partner as well, so it is a love song. And then the video kind of brings the petition to life, Mm. but then also meshes in my kind of struggles, but also fantasy of being, you know, a proud queer student in high school. There is a lot going on, like you said, but yeah, we we work so hard on that video Mm. and yeah, I'm so proud of the storytelling. But yeah, the, the video is based in a school setting, got like a fair few friends in it, lots of diversity because I didn't have that growing up in Orange, so yeah. that's the kind of fantasy as well. I don't know, it's so beautiful, it brings a smile to my face. I even watch a pack, I'm like, is that me? <laughs> no, it's not me. Um, I'm really, really proud of it and I'm hoping, you know, that can show the industry what a queer rapper looks yeah. like because we need more. Like I was just making it, everything I'm doing, I'm doing for me when I was a student not having that idol. So for the next generation, 
because, yeah, like I said at the beginning, I had my hip-hop heroes, my rap idols, but mm. they all ended up being homophobic. So yeah. I'm just trying to, you know, be a figure of representation for the next gen. Yeah. And, yeah, it's a truly beautiful video. So encouraging, strongly encouraging everyone that's listening to check it out. Yes, you definitely should check it out. It is amazing. It's definitely like the school of my dreams. I was thinking, wow, if high school was really like that, I think I would have enjoyed it so much oh, more. Like throwing, it was such a vibe. I was like coming to school every day with a full face of makeup. Yeah, that's what I want for myself, in fact. <laughs> I love it. Literally. Well, that was my brief to everyone. I said, just be you, individuality, because yeah. that's what I'm about. I want us just to all be ourselves. And then we still had the school uniforms kind of just to, I don't know, show how you can still be yourself but comply to school yeah. like, looks. Yeah. I don't know. But, I mean, school yeah, looks can all- be cute, though. If, it's up to, if you get to decide what the school look is about to be, the school look can also be very, very cute. As, it can indeed. <laughs> as no, long it as it's yours. Indeed. No, it can indeed. And I was also just hoping to show, like, independent schools what students with braids and yeah. afros may look like. Because, mm. I, I, yeah, I felt like that maybe hasn't been represented or visualised to them before, seeing as, you know, they're telling everyone to cut their hair out. I don't know. But, yeah. Good times. <laughs> Good times. It's an amazing video and it looks like it was so much fun to make. I'm going to play the track now. It's called Tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's The Rap, a weekly radio show weaving conversations about culture, politics, literature, art and music into a weekly mix. Broadcast live on Triple R from Kulin Nations land in Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and if you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.